Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics Gaming Podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordics gaming organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I'm Heather from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. I'm joined by Yari, James, Sarah, and Yasir to discuss how do we integrate AI into the gaming industry. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. Um, So, Sarah, do you want to kick us off? Yes, sure. Thank you a lot for uh, giving me the first spot. So, um, uh, I, my name is Sarah. Uh, I am a technical director in uh, Cdify Meta Studios. We are developing a seed world, which is a metaverse, but it's like a new kind of metaverse. It's a hybrid style between gaming and the traditional UGC, what we call user generation content. And I have been into the field for many years now. I have been delving into many countries and I'm very happy to be here today. One of my biggest patients is new technologies. So between AI, blockchain and uh, gaming in general and gamification in education, all of those topics are my main interest. Thank you for hosting me again. No, amazing. Thank you. Um, James, do you want to give us an introduction to you? Sure. Yeah. So I'm James Kramer. Um, I'm currently working on a new game studio. Uh, called Voxel Pop. I was just deciding whether I was going to say the name or not, but yes, it's called Voxel Pop. Formerly the CEO and co-founder of another game studio called Skunkworks. Uh, we are working on uh, a real-time strategy game, which is heavily driven by machine learning and AI. Amazing, thank you. Uh, Yasir, do you want to give us an introduction? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, my name's Yasser. I'm uh, head of studio at Sansoft Games. Sansoft Games is a games company that is headquartered in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've been around for about now three to four years. Uh, we develop games, we publish games, we invest in games, basically getting involved in games in uh, all shapes and forms. I've been in the industry for about 14 years now, various roles within production and also product uh, at EA, working on titles like Need for Speed, FIFA, um, and also at Zynga, working on titles like CSR Racing 2 and also Dawn of Titans as well. So I've got a mix of AAA console, also free-to-play and kind of hybrid economies experience. And in terms of passions, I mean, there are many, but certainly one um, is definitely gaming and technology still, even after being in the industry for 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 a fairly, you know, um, long while uh, but outside of that in terms of other passions i also race cars as well so that's a different type of a passion too oh cool um and then finally yari i am uh, yari pekka kaleva managing director of the european games developer federation egdf at the moment we have uh, 23 trade associations from 22 different european countries as our member and uh, uh, lately, on the work side, my passion has been the games industry ecosystem building and, of course, support for the Ukrainian games industry that is struggling at the moment due to current uh, uh, events. Um, and, yeah, on the personal side, uh, cycling, definitely. It's a bit starting to get a bit cold here in Helsinki for that, but <laughs> that's definitely my passion. Nice. Fantastic. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. 
We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic and focus. You all have a question or statement on how to integrate AI into the gaming industry. Um, So as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. And each of you will have your opportunity to give your take on the situation. Um, So Sarah, let's start with you. Do you mind just explaining your question and the context behind it? Oh, yeah. Okay, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, so um, as a passionate uh, about the industry and the AI in general, there is a boom into the industries, all the industries. Uh, so I was wondering, will AI will be as good for game engineering as it is now for arts, since art is the predominant one with AI right now, uh, with new tools like Midjourney. So that's why my question. Fantastic. Does anyone want to take the floor with that one first? And we're going to have to pick on someone. <laughs> um, James, do you have a take on that? Yeah, actually, it, it kind of ties into uh, the question I asked a little bit as well, which you know we'll hear later. But um, I have actually been talking with our engineers about this. And it's kind of funny when you ask an engineer, their resounding answer is no. Absolutely not. You can't, you know, they don't want to be replaced. They don't want to be thinking that, hey, our jobs will, will suddenly disappear because uh, AI will, or an LLM will, will come along and just write code better. Um, but I, I think we are actually quite far away from from AI replacing code completely or coders completely. Um, there's too much custom need, let's say, in game development for that really to, to be necessary or to be possible. Um, but actually, I, I, I mean, my, my take is that AI will be needed in, in other areas of game development. Specifically, I think it will take over the purpose of quite a lot of live ops teams and economy balancing. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my take. I think, well, firstly, coders don't want to be replaced. But secondly, I think there's just too much custom need in the in this particular industry. So. Yeah, uh, Yari, do you want to add your point of view there? Yeah, of course. Uh, this is one of the big topics discussed across Europe at the moment. And uh, uh, at the moment, the conclusion seems to be that, uh, well, as usual, you are always a bit of overestimating the impact of the new technologies on the short run and perhaps underestimating them on the long run. And it's the case here as well. Like, it's clear that uh, different AI tools will transform almost all jobs in the games industry one way or another. But uh, 
for sure there are very very limited positions in the industry that will be completely replaced by the AI. Of course, some of the positions are more vulnerable uh, vulnerable for uh, AI tools. Uh, like if you are at the moment uh, creating game assets, uh, uh, general ones, it might be a bit uh, challenging position. But there will always need be demand for a certain on demand tailored content that. AI at the moment just isn't good enough uh, to uh, build. Uh, so yeah, there will be a transformation, but the question is more linked like how it will change the positions. And to my surprise, uh, of course, there are two groups that are most excited about this. On the other hand, it's the professional, highly professional senior people who see this as a great way of uh, uh, working more effectively and uh, quicker with smaller teams. And at the same time, it's a young students who are top of their class who see this as the great way to actually get uh, this kind of fast route to the top by mastering these new tools. So uh, no matter where you are, this will bring new opportunities for you. Yeah, no, that's a really cool take on it as well. Um, yes, yeah, so do you have any anything to add there? Yeah, um, you know, as with everything in life, nothing's black and white. There are always shades of grey, and I think that the same thing applies here. Generally speaking, within AI, but certainly with regards to sort of roles, um, you know, it was, it was mentioned just before that that it 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 may cause certain types of developers to. Um, behave in different ways. And I think that that's essentially what you're going to see in, in the long run. You're going to see a lot of the average coders, the average programmers, uh, the sort of routine run-of-the-mill type of tasks, services that you try and create for, they'll essentially be farmed off more towards um, AI taking care of those sorts of things. However, there is, you know, there are different qualities of programmers as well. You have um, those very rare breeds, which are the programmers that program with feel in terms of understanding what a game is like, understanding how a player should move uh, compared to certain references for other games. That's going to be the hard thing to replicate just through machine learning or just through um, you know, AI by itself. And I think those programmers are completely safe and fine because those are the ones that are going to be um, worth their weight in gold even even sort of more so because there's an art decoding, which AI may struggle to capture, certainly in the short term. And it's that art decoding, which is the piece where I think that you're going to find a real challenge still for AI to truly take over. And by take over, I mean, be able to, to do the task A to Z uh, completely by itself. Um, and I think we're, you know, I, I don't know how, how far away we are from that, but I would certainly say that I would be surprised if we didn't begin to see some fairly major games that included a big chunk of uh, AI influenced or at least um, um, assets that were uh, AI influenced or, or integrated from, from AI in their coding within the next, you know, three, four, five years. Um, so I, I certainly see there being a, a difference, say, between in the sort of programming world between your, you know, good programmers, which... For the most part, you can kind of machine learn a lot of stuff with, but then your actual art programmers, your, your programmers that have that feel, that have that real understanding of sort of gaming, who are gamers themselves. And, you know, a, a lot of programmers necessarily aren't gamers. Uh, for them, um, I think it's, it, it's going to make them even more valuable as well. Yeah, so can I ask on that point then, um, you mentioned there's going to be, you think there'll be games where a large chunk of it will be AI generated. Um, so do you think you'll be able to 
see a difference between games that have been AI generated to those that haven't? Do you think it'll have an effect on games and gamers as well? Um, how how do you think that's going to go? Um, how long is this podcast for? Yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad you're asking these small questions uh, up front. Um, <laughs> No, I, I mean, this one This one kind of leans into one of the questions that I was going to be asking, but uh, I mean, where do you begin? I, I think we're all looking at it currently um, from a generative AI perspective of how do you make things cheaper? How do you make things quicker? But for me, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit further ahead, which is to say that what's the true potential of uh, of AI. And currently now, for me, that is in creating real-time procedural customized experiences for players. So if I was to give you an example, I mean, right now you have a ton of sandboxes out there. You've got GTA, you've got Roblox, you've got Fortnite. Um, and in here, you as a gamer can try your best to make some games within that that are like mini games or sort of, you know, uh, examples of maybe some other games you play, but with kind of lower quality assets. And I think that's where we're currently at within the gaming space. But the future would be, what if your version of Fortnite is different to my version of Fortnite? Or what if your version of Roblox is different to my version of Roblox? How? Well, it, it um, you know, through machine learning, it learns what my gaming habits are. It learns that I'm more of an... Uh, an adventurer and a fighter in these sorts of games and you're more of a i, I don't know puzzler and and, and sort of a bunch of other different things and you begin to realize and say well actually um the experience that i'm having with that particular um game is actually different to yours even though it's technically the same game um so i feel like that's that's where it will likely lead um certainly in in sort of my eyes um in, in sort of creating a lot more of these very, very custom experiences. I think once we get past the, you know, okay, now the cost of uh, programming for multiplayer games has dropped by 30%, and now the cost of creating assets has dropped by 10%, whatever it might be, once you get past the functional stuff, you have to then kind of understand, okay, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff out there that isn't going to be all that great, right? I mean, you want to know how? Just look at UGC. There's a ton of user-generated content that's out there that is not very good, right? And and so what it does is it elevates those people who are actually very good and makes them stand out. But then that also adds another kind of question, which is about discoverability, because you go from a point where um, – even sort of 10 years ago, you had a handful of really good game makers, maybe in your hundreds, maybe a few thousand uh, around the world. Uh, and then with the advent of mobile gaming, you've got a ton of mobile games coming out. Uh, and now you've got thousands of developers everywhere making those games. And those games are really hard to find. <laughs> Everyone's paying tons of high UA costs in order just to get you know people to even look at them. Now imagine in a sort of environment in the future when you've got so many games that are being created through AI because now a lot of it's a lot of game creation has been democratized. You're going to have an awful lot of rubbish out there, and it's going to be even harder to try and find the stuff that you want when now you go into the app stores or sort of whatever, and you see hundreds of thousands of games listed immediately within one week. So um, I think that's going to be a real other challenge to kind of figure out how how that works. I have had my hand since uh, Yasser was talking about UGC. UGC is our field here. We are working on the metaverse. I totally understand your concern and your point there. Uh, what we are trying to do is leverage AI for UGC. And that's come with some cost. We can also tweak it. We can edit it. But there is also the huge cost that AI will generate. For example, if you guys are familiar with Eleven Labs, Eleven Labs is a voice generation. 
uh, that can transform text to speech. It's an amazing tool. It can replace a lot of narrations into the game, into a very natural conversation, but it comes with a high cost. It's, it can maybe cost you 3,000 to 4,000 for a little minimum per month for 20 user per, um, per day. 20 user interaction per day for 200 users, it can cost you literally $3,000 to $4,000 for two, only 200 users for you if you want to have this tool. So the tools that are very good are still very expensive and these API calls are super costly. So whatever you are using, ChatGPT, even ChatGPT Pro is limiting the interaction because they, the algorithmics and the calls and the uh, data narrations about this from a perspective of software engineer, it's a lot of mathematics behind. It's a lot of algorithmic calculations and the data gathering analytics so that they give you this answer in ChatGPT or a generation of image or a generation of sound, which is still costly. So I think also until then, we will not have really something pretty prominent. We are still in the phase of discovering AI and it's not very affordable too much for now. For sure, it will be affordable for the next years and that's where it goes. Yeah, that was my introduction, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to also add something to, to what Yashi was saying there. Um, I, I'm still a very big believer in human ability to create content. And I think I completely agree with Yashia there that AI typically it it's it falls flat. Even when you look at photographs that are recreated, they they don't really have that emotive feeling. That you know, like when a human is taking a photograph, there's something different about that. Um, and I feel like we're still going to be in that stage for quite a long time. The cost is, as Sarah said, like massive to get the really 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 good results. Um, and I think from my point of view, the major benefit really is when players don't really see or experience AI at all. Um, and the way we're thinking about it at Voxelpop is, is kind of like, okay, if we can automate a lot of the difficult parts of game development, meaning economy balance, um, if we can figure out what retains users the best by just throwing users through a whole bunch of different um, configurations of the game, meaning that, like he said, that your version of Fortnite might be different to my version of Fortnite. The difficulty in our game might be slightly different for me than it is for you guys. Um, you all might experience the journey a bit differently, but the endpoint will ultimately be the same. Um, yeah, I, I just think that the way we're, or the best way to think about it right now is just like, what can we automate? What can we use machine learning to automate? But in a way, or for us that, as game developers, that in a way that um, gives us the best opportunity to take huge risks with content. I think one of the worst things, personally, one of the worst experiences I have in the game industry is when I play a game and it just feels copied from somebody else's game. In terms of the FTUE, in terms of the dialogue, the graphics, everything. Um, and I think until we can have a lot more automation on the balancing and on the economy and on the the game's um, progression vectors, then we as game developers are not going to be able to take big big risks. And until then, nothing's you know really going to change. So we're we're kind of just nose diving as an industry right now. Oh well, mobile free to play, let's say. Quite interesting. That's a really interesting point as well. And Yari, did you want to add something there? Yeah. So. 
there are lots of, of course, uh, speculation around where will the AI-generated game um, revolution start and somehow pinpointing to hyper-casual, of course. But I, personally, I'm thinking it's actually more likely to happen in some kind of really standardized closed environments like Roblox, uh, Hype, Hype, Yaha, like of standboxes, where um, users are already now generating this kind of extremely simple games. And at least part of that generation will be replaced at some point by AI generated um, games or at least the, at least heavily AI assisted tools uh, for people to make games like Sarah was already mentioning. Uh, but what is really interesting in this context is also that there is a parallel transformation going on in the industry at the moment. We are used to think uh, gaming distribution and its wearability that Yashir mentioned in terms of uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, Sony, Nintendo, these huge platforms. But now what we are seeing is that regulators around the globe are breaking these uh, platform gatekeeper monopolies and are forcing them to open their marketplaces for third-party application stores. And we are already seeing Netflix most likely bring their own platform. Uh, Epic Games uh, has announced that they will introduce their third-party application stores on mobile. Microsoft is building some kind of cross-platform uh, store front at some point. So there will be more platforms. And in the end, uh, the question is uh, like, what kind of differentiation these platforms will have and what will be the role of the AI in this context uh, in the, each platform? And it will be different depending on if you are building a, this kind of a cloud-based game streaming service or narrative storytelling games compared to, let's say, mobile app-driven app store yeah, that is focused on free-to-play content and everything in between. And the role of AI will be different on each of them. As this question's kind of moved into your question as well, James, is there anything on your question that you do want to visit while we're on this kind of topic? Yeah, sure. Um, so for clarity, my question was uh, to do with the fact that, uh, and I posed the question when the whole Unity thing blew up a couple of weeks ago, um, it was more to do with the fact that the cost of game development has not gone down, whereas the the cost of acquisition is continuously going up. Uh, discoverability, uh, discoverability is getting harder and harder. When Unity come out and potentially lay a huge amount of extra cost onto independent studios or even big publishers, you know, it means we somehow have to find either cost saving or we need to um, milk the players even more for for monetization, which is already at pretty extreme levels in a lot of games. Um, and so my question was mostly around, is it now an imperative that studios adopt as much automation and as much machine learning and AI as they possibly can in the development of games? just in order to survive, actually. It's, it's not even so much about scaling. It's, it's um, you know, if, if we can avoid hiring a 15-person live operations team, because much of that work can be automated um, or can be run by a machine learning algorithm, that's going to be a lot more beneficial to us in the long run. We're going to be able to make much higher quality content in general. Um, but, you know, crucially, 
we should actually be able to survive as studios because um, one of the main reasons my last studio went bankrupt was because our headcount was just too high at a point when um, VC funding dried up and we couldn't just you know, reduce our headcount quickly enough to survive. And so if we'd have been a lot more cash efficient in that sense, um, you know, perhaps things would be different. Perhaps I would be introducing myself as the CEO of Skunkwork still and not the CEO of, of Voxelpop, you know? So anyway, that's my question. It's a bit long-winded. Um, I'd love to hear other people's thoughts about it. And to what extent specifically do you think we should be implementing uh, AI and machine learning into studio uh, development processes? Yeah, does anyone want to take the floor with that one? Yeah, I'll, I'll also jump in there. Um... I, I don't think it's so much of a choice as it is just a reality. Um, I think it's the sort of thing that uh, if you're not doing, you're already behind, or if you're not thinking about, you're you're already behind, or you're certainly in sort of danger of being. Um, to give you an example of sort of what we're doing uh, at sort of Sandsoft is that we've set our um, game teams the sort of challenge of making sure that um, you know. It, each each sort of quarter when we uh, have have our kind of reviews with each other, uh, that we want to make sure that at least fifty percent of the content that's created through art or on the programming side is AI influenced. And the key there is influenced, not the end result being that, but it's been a part of the process. Why? Because it is ultimately about making sure that people get up to speed with the capabilities that it has and that they also improve their own skill sets. Uh, because I doubt there's going to be any programmer or artist in the next few years that um, is going to be that much more employable if they don't have some ability to use AI or have used AI in the creation of sort of what they're doing. So um, we've practically set those goals and they're really important to us, um, both as a learning tool, but also as a way of understanding what the realities of the situation are. Because obviously when you're using it, you, it, it opens up a whole Pandora's box of other questions on the legal side, on you know where, where, where are those assets sourced from, what were they inspired by, et cetera, et cetera. Hence why for us, it isn't the end result that's important. It's more about how we're using them through the process. So I would say that it's uh, crucial, um, especially if you're looking towards making a studio or a company in a smart way um, because your competitors, even the very, very large companies already have R&D divisions that are focused on this. And, and so they, they, you know, for some extent taking uh, a lot of the risk in terms of experimenting with it. But certainly if you're a smaller studio, you've got to learn how to work smart, not just hard. Um, and I think that that's the reality uh, of sort of where you are now. Yari, did you want to jump in there? Yes. Uh, so if... Uh... I absolutely agree that uh, it's imperative uh, to start using AI tools in the games industry more effectively now for any game developer studio. And quite frankly, everyone is looking uh, onto those tools at the moment precisely because of that. But if you have a, this kind of, a, let's say, framework or ecosystem level perspective on this question, so what many studios very quickly run into is first of all the question of question question of access to talent uh, if you like uh, especially with unity it's now very clear that every service provider you are relying on comes with the service provider risks they might be bought and get away from the market so if you have a crucial ai tool you are relying on suddenly it's sold to one of your competitors well that's a awful situation or suddenly their pricing changes that's not something you want to end up to 
But of course, the biggest studios have access to these top talent who are able to build their own AI tools. But like those people, those coders who are master uh, coding into level that they are able to build this kind of AI tools for internal use, they are really, really expensive and hard to recruit at the moment. So there is already now a talent shortage in the games industry in many fields, and this is definitely one of the uh, more most challenging places to find uh, good people to recruit. And even like finding the right tools for your company, people who can are familiar with those tools, know how to use them in this kind of moment of um, let's say disruption into industry that games industry is very used to, uh, still it's a challenge finding those people. The second part of that is access to funding. Like uh, it's really, really difficult at the moment to find uh, risk funding for the new game developer studios. Like 10 years ago, it was, there were lots of Chinese money in the industry. there were a lot of uh, US and um, UK investors, but especially at the moment in the current geopolitical situation and the economic situation, investors are really, really risk averse. So investing in something new requires risk funding. And that's one of the challenges of Europe is like where to get that risk funding on this crucial moment when the transformation is happening to build those tools or to build those companies that are able to exploit those tools in the best possible way. Then the third big question is access to data. Not all platforms provide you the crucial access to player data that can be then used for different ways to make better games from the monetization, content creation, etc. perspectives. So that we are not just uh, uh, facing this kind of struggle in the games industry value chain related to your uh, share of the income in the value chain. We are also facing a struggle on the access to data in the value chain. Who is controlling the data? who has uh, access to it, who can you decide what tools you are allowed to use, uh, what kind of third-party tools you are able to integrate in your game and so on. That's the big battle we are having at the moment. And that's very much connected to the AI tools that are available to you. And of course, the last one is a question about access to markets. And different platforms at the moment set different restrictions, of course, on what kind of tools you can use uh on those platforms uh on data analytics marketing etc and um then you have all the regulatory restrictions like the chinese approach on what kind of ai based tools you can uh, use is very different from the european approach we are building at the moment that is very different from the american approach so it is kind of a days when there was a global wild wild web where you were able to do whatever you want those for sure are gone and uh, you are facing very commercially and regulatory fragmented market environment. Oh, thanks for that, Yari. And um, Sarah, did you have a point on that question? Um, yeah, I just wanted the, to emphasize more about the question of shortage of talent. Uh, as any studio that might notice, especially in AAA studio, uh, there was a survey from Perforce, if you guys are familiar with Perforce, um, and they are the leaders of um, versioning and tool sets for um, the gaming studios, like the biggest ones. And one of their surveys that they do every year, that this 2023 survey showed that one of the challenges 
that are literally faced by the, those AAA studios is mostly the first one, like uh, Yari said, is literally not the funding, but finding people, finding the talent, that's first, and then the funds come second, and then third is like scaling, etc. So um, uh, we are facing in this uh, industry, especially in those years, a shortage of talent in many aspects, especially engineering, art, design, and suited people for uh, AI engineers is very, very even rare. More than that, we are also in order to simplify their tasks. So to keep the team minimal, maybe there is another solution to use the AI tool sets that we are talking about instead of making a lot of jobs to those teams and making them work more, maybe we should use AI tool sets to simplify their workload so that they can work more efficiently about the content and not about those pipelines. Like, for example, uh, let's say creating graphs, creating diagrams, creating those meeting summaries. AI is pretty decent and the actual stage in the future to summarize those tools and to use those uh, as advisory for the next meetings, for example. We don't need to keep doing tons of paperwork when we can just make the contents, if, especially if we are in shortages of talents, so that the focus can go towards something much, uh, let's say, much efficient. Also, for example, in image creations, we can also use AI to give us more inspiration for concept artists so they can create something even faster and even cre more creative. We will not fully use AI, for example, to make our concept art, but we will use it as reference images for something totally uh, new. For example, story creation is another AI tool set that we can use, which is uh, making uh, lore, more making narratives in a more crazy way that our, for example, if you have one or two members in your team that are creative directors, they can use those tools to emphasize more about new ideas that are not coming. It's like an assistant to them instead of making, replacing them. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think that is something very important to think about, to not use the AI to replace people, but use the AI to help them instead. Yeah, that's that's a really cool idea as well. Um, and then James, do we want to circle back to you just for a final point on this? Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment more than anything before the before we started recording. Yari and I were discussing how much simpler things were ten years ago, and it just struck me that ten years ago it was still possible to have a team of four developers locked in a room making a game that can generate billions, and suddenly we've come full circle. It seems. No, definitely. So. Yes, it. Do we want to move on to your um, question? Uh, do you want to introduce sure. it and then we can go around the room? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just to add to your last point there, James, the more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? Um, so, yeah, uh, this little question, I've taken a different kind of tact with it. Uh, it, it. It's inspired by the EA advert that was released in 1983, where a question was posed which said, can a computer make you cry? Um, and that was the, the sort of thesis was how far can you push pixels and computers to elicit emotions? And ultimately, when it comes to games, even mobile free to play games, they elicit certain emotions in you, which is what keeps you tied to them uh, uh, as well. So then the sort of question that, you know, it took me many years to come up with based off of that one was, can can AI make you cry? Can 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 games that are 
for the most part, either generated by or have a heavy part in them in whatever realm, whether that's design, art, coding, whatever it is, uh, can they elicit that sort of an emotion in you? Um, and I think that was that was something that I was uh, intrigued by. Uh, I think we kind of alluded to some aspects of this earlier um, when we were talking about, you know, how we've evolved from uh, essentially having sandboxes to having potentially games that are custom made that are very personal to you based off of how you play, what what sort of games you like, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear what people's thoughts on that might be. Sorry, did you have your hand up for a minute there? Yeah, I have it a hand on, but it's not fair to start always again <laughs> the first. So I will let the others if they want to, or I will just uh, jump in because what what Yasu said is interesting because uh, humans are always affected by emotions and it's easy to trigger those emotions by many ways. Uh, AI discussion, the most basic AI discussion can trigger those emotions and those feelings through humans and then make it attached to you. For example, in this code, as a fun fact, you cannot delete a robot. If you create a bot, you cannot delete it because they are too cool to be deleted. And that's the fun fact about it. So there is already an, an uh, attached emotional going on for, for AI since the most beginning. And I think that they can make us cry if they evolve more. For example, let's say if it's your AI assistant for your healthcare, if it is your AI assistant for your um, a psychologue, for example, is using an assistant. So maybe that that will go so deep with you. I know people that are using, for example, chat GPT literally uh, to uh, diagnostic their situations. Uh, am I, I'm, I am in love with this person. What do you suggest me to do? And then uh, you have some advices and then you start applying them and you dig deep into this rabbit hole until you find that you are literally feeling that you are talking with a specialist, not with a robot. It's a little bit dangerous because the information there are not accurate, not 100% sure, and we definitely need to go back to a specialist, a real human, sort of the fun joke. <laughs> we need to check that this guy is a human. So um, I literally think that we are going there, but we need to be careful about this emotions relationship with robots, and we need to establish some kind of fundamentals and rules uh, to the robots into the, uh, their algorithmics. So they, they always keep reminding people, hey guys, we cannot replace humans. You guys should talk with real people, not with us, because we are not omniscient. We are not knowing everything and we can make mistakes too. So yeah, that was my uh, and, and, uh, talk about uh, your um, commentary, yes, sir. James, did you want to jump in? Yeah, maybe just to reiterate the point I made earlier, which is that um, maybe I'm taking this in a slightly different way, uh, but I mean, it's the age old question, isn't it? You know, can, can a machine make you cry? Do robots dream of electric sheep, et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, but I'm just a big proponent of human generated content. You know, I, I think nobody can generate human generated content as well as we can, not machines, not anybody. And, uh, I, I think the point that I've been making maybe or trying to make throughout this podcast is is just that we shouldn't be relying on machines really to, to generate content. We should be using them to help us as humans take bigger risks with content, to create things that are more emotive and might alienate 
or people, um, but could be balanced and presented in a way by underlying machine learning framework um, that can appeal to more people more broadly, I think. Um, so, I mean, that's, that, that's just the way I've been looking at things for quite a while. I, I was really excited when I first saw Midjourney, you know, that, that I spent a lot of time generating stuff, but none of those images really ever came close to some of the artwork I've seen from the artists that I work with in the studio. Um, some of the sketches I've seen them do during meeting times, you know, it's, this, there's something very, very different about human generated art uh, versus machine generated art. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, that's that's just my take. Maybe, maybe it's not as uh, forward thinking as it could be, but that's just the way I see things. Yeah, if I may continue from there, I, I completely agree that we are still far, far away from making AI generating games uh, that would make you cry. Because like at the moment, uh, at the, we have well, you have to remember that the games are the combination of the, of course, the technical uh, side of good code. You have to have excellent arts there, combined with that, and then of course some kind of business model keeping it running. And yeah, it's a, a huge challenge to make something like that that works and it is able to build some kind of emotional connection to the players. And it will take most likely decades before this kind of AI uh, tools are on that level. However, it doesn't mean that uh, developers shouldn't be careful. Like we all know what kind of bias uh, AI uh, training materials can have and those uh, risks have to be taken seriously. But uh, luckily, most of the games in Nursery operates in the area of games for entertainment, where uh, the risk in the end for the end users are quite small. But if you are making uh, games for, let's say, medical purposes, like uh, health games or therapeutical games, then of course you have to have precisely those um, safeguards that Sarah mentions integrated in your system. If you are using any kind of AI tools there to bring this kind of uh, health benefits for your players. Fantastic. So we'll move on to Yari's question. If you mind, just um, explaining the contacts behind that, please. So, yeah, what I'm working on my daily uh, work life is, of course, the EU regulation. And the key question that is popping up everywhere in the industry at the moment, and of course, in the society and the public discussions, is like, uh, how should AI be regulated? And uh, yeah, I have a number of stakeholder groups with the European Commission going on at the moment on this topic uh, from, from different fields and uh, uh, on sides of the regulation. So it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on uh, what are the priorities on that side? Or should it be regulated at all? Yeah, James, go ahead. Uh, speaking as a founder that has been raising money for game startups for the last four or five years, uh, it might be quite controversial to say, but I would say let's not regulate too much. Let's follow the lead of the US, China. Let's not get left behind because we're in quite big danger in the EU of restricting ourselves too much. Um, I guess as I read somewhere, the, the EU wants to lead the world in regulation and not in innovation, uh, which is quite a dangerous place to be if you are trying to stay relevant in, in the current moment so uh i would always fall on the side of 
less regulation is is better. But then, of course, there are the inherent other dangers to AI, uh, which I'm sure you know far know far more about than I do. Um, but yeah, that that would be my take. Let's let's not back ourselves into a corner in the EU and leave ourselves lagging behind other continents that can therefore raise money a lot easier than we can. Yeah, Sarah, did you have a point there? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, continue on what James said. Let's not add too much regulation. And in the same time, let's not remove too much regulation. Let's keep a balance between things. Always is everything is great when it's well balanced. So if we can, for example, have as minimum regulation that keep people safe, a warning that keep them available and understanding that this is a boat and that, for example, insensitive information and sensitive media, sensitive uh, topics like health, like uh, uh, sensitive informations um, that they need to check and double check after it because the data informed there might be not right, not correct, maybe outdated. It's not that means it will misinform you by mistake. It just means that you need to double check after it because maybe today there is a new regulation that came out. Let's talk about the topic of health. Let's say there is a new health rule outside. So let's say today there is no update, but after two hours there is a new update, but you ask after three hours. So this rule is not yet applied into that algorithm. So you will be misinformed. So I would say that it's always good to keep the balance, keep the balance to the boat so they can access this information as much as possible, keep the freedom, but also keep this balance also to warn people and to keep the boat as assistance, not to replace the real information from the source. Always information from the source is the best way. Uh, yeah. And then Yasser, did you have a point on, on this this question? Yeah, um, I, I've always been a big fan of uh, first principle thinking and kind of going down to what's at the root of the, you know, what's the reason? Why do you want to regulate it? Uh, other than wanting to control things, what's the what's the purpose? Um, and so I think understanding that very clearly is important because you can come from a place where you just have a general fear. And when you have a general fear, you think either the world's going to crash or, you know, everything is going to be amazing. And it, as I said, in reality, everything's a shade of grey. So I, I think it, it, it's worth understanding why. Why do you want to regulate it and for what purpose? That's the first thing. Um, and then, you know, the, the second thing is, you know, looking at the way that the EU has been approaching this, they've taken a sort of tiered approach with with AI, generally speaking, where they have their, you know, unacceptable risk level, they've got their high risk, they've got their limited risk and sort of minimal risk and gaming they've currently got in the in the sort of lower two bands. But for me, that just shows one of the limitations of regulation, which is that regulation always comes after things happen. It never comes before. Um, you know, to be very, very blunt and direct, the most capable, the smartest people are working in the companies to create these rules and to create these things. Everybody else is following. <laughs> and um, the, the, the everything that's going to happen from a regulation point of view is going to be retroactive. It's never going to be ahead of the curve. So I don't think that there's too much to worry about from that sense. Um, because you've got the smartest people working in those companies to make these things happen rather than regulating them. I don't think anybody wants to grow up, you know, necessarily focused on, on sort of regulating this sort of stuff. Um, 
in terms of how to go about regulating this, I think that's that's the other interesting one. Uh, you've got to, as I said, really understand what's what's the goal behind it. Secondly, you've got to also appreciate that you will always be behind the curve. And then thirdly, you've got to really understand what is the potential of gaming. Right now, I see, for example, things like chatbots, um, the influence of NPC characters, various other things as being defined in limited risk within the current uh, EC framework. But in reality, it could very much be high risk. But you, uh, how? Well, you, you know, if you if you get to a spot with AI where it essentially becomes like general intelligence, which is the ability to effectively create a sort of avatar of you that talks like you, that you could put into this podcast, for example, and it might not be the real me, but it's a version of me that's been trained enough through everything else that it knows how to talk in a similar way, etc then that's a very, very high risk, uh, especially if you're in an environment where there are millions and billions of dollars being exchanged through these gaming networks. Uh, so now all of a sudden you've got something which currently is marked as limited minimal risk, which probably smacks of them not really understanding what the potential of gaming is and probably thinking about it as something that kids still do, but then realizing actually with the amount of money that's involved with how gaming tends to be one of the front runners whenever a new technology comes in, in terms of implementing it, uh, I could very very easily see gaming being something that they worry about, um, you know, but they will only ever worry about after something's happened. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen sooner or later. I've heard predictions about, you know, I don't think anything's going to happen in the next 10 years, five years, whatever. I would just say that with AI, at least, it is one of those changes like the industrial revolution where it's going to cause something exponential. It's not a linear increase. It isn't just, oh, now we've got a computer or, or, or so whatever. It is more of a case of what was life like before the internet. I mean, it's very hard to imagine what life like was like before then. And I imagine you're going to have the same sort of conversation when it comes to AI. All it takes is one great product or uh, one great implementation somewhere, just like chat GPT had that you know accelerated piece. And now it's kind of not really there anymore. It's kind of been overtaken by a few others. There'll be something within gaming where something like that happens and it will cause an exponential increase with the amount of people who will begin to play in, into the field and not just in an experimental way. A lot of what we're talking about here is just purely experimental, very, very early stage. But the moment that that happens, then I think you will begin to see the regulators becoming more involved because ultimately there's, there's a lot of money involved in gaming. And the moment that they begin to see the risk of that, they will want a piece of the pie. So, um, you know, quite frankly, I don't think it matters what we say in terms of whether they should or they shouldn't. It will happen. But the only sell, um, um solace that you have as a games developer is that you will always be in front they will always be behind so you've got to try and capitalize on that on that you know particular uh, piece of advantages that you've got yeah and that's sarah did you have a point to add there yeah just a follow-up about when we talk about the uh, generalization of regulation in in global in history there is always a fighting back when something new is coming there is always um uh, when the a generation of games came, there was always a pros and cons. Then they start banning. Then they start unleashing again. When um, blockchain, as a recent example, came, there is still fluctuation in up and down. Some countries say yes, some countries says no. Some countries limited. Like for example, if you see the Binance situation right now, say they say no, they say yes. In some countries, they are retracting from some and coming from somewhere else. And suddenly, the regulations talking, speaking about regulation, they change again. So it's available again in a country. It's like like up and down and 
talking about AI, it's the same thing, I believe. So it always depends on embracing these changes in a, a regular way, in a more balanced way, talking about this kind of um, uh, new technology that will come. And I'm sure that not AI only is the latest technology that will arrive. We will see many, many things in the future. So far, 100, 200 years before, we didn't know at all that this will be happening today. So uh, we don't know what is coming in the future. Maybe something more amazing than AI, something more crazy. Maybe we'll go in spaceships and just fly around the space and people again will start complaining and putting regulations there. Like, okay, shall we just go? Is it bad? Is it good? So it's like always this discussion going on and back. And then rounding back to Yari, what, what was your point on this? So it's, uh, of course, like... Uh... A discussion is at the moment for very understandable reasons, very much uh, focused on the protection of the players and uh, consumers and all of us human beings uh, on the AI-related topics. But it's, uh, actually also the uh, discussion is getting wider and wider, and that's of course one of the risks there that there will not be a single EU regulation on AI. There will be, of course, AI Act on precisely what you mentioned, this kind of high-risk use on medical games and then the low risk use for the games for entertainment and so on. Uh, but beyond that, the uh, consumer protection side will have a closer look on that. Uh, data protection side will have a closer look on that. And now we have a big discussion about AI and copyrights and how that framework will work. And especially on that one, over-regulation is always a challenge, as mentioned. Like One of the reasons why AI-generated music is moving forward so quickly is that the use of human-generated music is so difficult in Europe that it's easier to use AI-generated music in many contexts. So unfortunately, sometimes the regulation can be also this kind of booster of the technological development to override these kind of challenges related to human-generated content. But um, I absolutely agree that uh, we have to find, as Sarah mentioned, right balance between the regulation and uh, not regulating uh, AI-related things. And something that uh, now is also mentioned more and more in the game dev community is the are the risks related to consolidation of the AI tool markets. Let's face it, like that's the nature of the uh, tech uh, companies that step by step the big market players uh, take over and there will be few tools left. And then the big question is like how to build a balanced, fair markets where uh, you will have these huge uh, global conglomerates uh, that will have their own AI tools in-house use and then all the SMEs uh, using the commercial tools against them. And in that context, Fair contract terms, for example, on Mind Journey and other AI tools are absolutely crucial. And like, what kind of um, contract terms are you a allowed to push through this, this kind of non-negotiable contracts that are at the moment used on that side? Like, how much of your IP and copyrights and control you have to give to these tools? What is fair? Those are, in the end, also equally important questions from the game industry perspective. Uh, us, of course, we have to be very, very worried about uh, secure the right balance on the protection of the players. We also have to secure that there is a fair competition in the markets and the 
markets uh, go to the direction where the, we will have new SMEs emerging from Europe that have access to those tools and are able to exploit them in the best possible manner to make the best possible games. But at the same time, uh, those two, the rules in these markets have to be fair for everyone so that the competition is fair and not uh, well, uh, in favor of the huge uh, big players in the markets. No, I think that's a, a really nice way to round off the podcast. Now, I know we could talk about this all evening. There's so much to talk about, um, especially with AI. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts. They've been James, Yari, Yasser and Sarah. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would be would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop us a message too. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.